we're in this series on peace, and, and as, uh, if you want to hit a passage of Scripture, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2, where I've kind of camped out all day. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about the peace that we have. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I've read verse 13, uh, those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you see that? Ephesians 2, 13. You look at verse 14, and he himself is our peace. Uh, I can only imagine how Paul felt as he's writing this letter. Now, beginning in verse 1, and if people have asked me, what's your favorite chapter in the Bible? And this would be it. Ephesians 2 is my favorite chapter. Um, but uh, as... as as he's writing this, I mean, he's begun uh, chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has uh, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, and love having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Christ Jesus for his good pleasure. Uh, in him, verse 7, in him there is uh, in him there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, I, I mean, he, Paul began with this great doxology of praise, but then it turns in chapter 2, verse 1, and, and he talks about our, our, our status apart from Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's us. I imagine as Paul's writing this, he's remembering what it was like. I mean, think about it here. Paul is writing this letter, and he's in prison. We know he's in prison at this time. And, and so there's chains on his wrists and on his feet, around his waist. And, and, and as he's writing, as, as the stylus uh, uh, etches across the parchment in the letter that he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, he can hear the clank of the chain, the weight of it. And, and it's a reminder that he was once imprisoned. I mean once imprisoned, even though physically he's in jail right now. That's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking about how he was chained to sin, how he was chained to death, how that he was chained to hopelessness and despair because he was separated from God. Imagine, imagine uh, the, the the relief of his life when he realized that God could and would erase the guilt of his sin. And the story goes that there was a grandmother who was taking, his, taking her daughter to the uh, beachfront to watch the airplane uh, write words in the sky. And so the, the grandmother thought that would be a great experience for her granddaughter. She goes down. She, she, she says, honey, I want you to see this plane write words in the sky. It's going to be awesome. And, and, and certainly that young little girl was just amazed at, at the zigging and the zagging of the plane and the, and the letters that began to be formed in the sky. But, but, but as she's watching, inquisitive like young children can be, she, she's watching and, and she sees that the letters begin to disappear. And so puzzling in her own mind what that meant, why, why are the letters disappearing? She has an aha moment. She tugs her grandmama's sleeve and she said, Grandmama, I know, I, I know why the letters are disappearing. And she says, Grandmama says, why, honey? And she says, because God has an eraser. 
And the truth is, God does have an eraser. He sent Jesus to erase the guilt and stain of our sin. God does have an eraser. It is through God's grace and by His great love that He sent Jesus to erase the penalty of our sin. What we celebrate at communion is not a religious ritual. It is a celebration of life for those who deserve nothing but death. It is a celebration of forgiveness for those, uh, from those who deserve nothing but condemnation. We are here today a people deserving hopelessness, despair, death, the exact opposite of peace. But God sends Jesus to give us peace. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. Imagine yourself um, looking across a Grand Canyon. And as you're looking across the Grand Canyon, you're on this side and peace is on the other end. The opposite end of the Grand Canyon, there's this great grand chasm between us and peace and we can't attain it. We can't evil Knievel ourselves across the grand chasm to get to peace. We, we, can't, uh, we can't smart ourselves across the grand chasm to get to peace. We can't navigate the grand chasm and, and try to, try to uh, uh, scale the walls down and scale the heights up because in between that grand chasm is the roaring, turbulent river of our sin that has created the chasm itself, and we can't cross that river. So here we are stuck on one side of the Grand Canyon. On the other side is the peace that every person here longs to know. And we can't get there. And we try. Oh, we try. We, we, we try to be religious enough to get there. If I can just check one more box in my religious list, then I will be okay with God. No. Beloved, no. It doesn't matter how many boxes of your religious devotion that you check. You will never be okay with a holy God because of religious stuff that you do. And I mean any of it. Whether it's getting dunked in a tub or sprinkled as a baby. Whether it's going to confession to your priest or having a counseling session with your pastor. Whether it's serving the poor at a food kitchen or building orphanages in Haiti. No matter how many religious things or moral things or pretty good things we do, it will never, ever, ever be enough to span the chasm that our sin has caused between us and God. Because really... That is what Paul writes. He says the reason you're living without peace, the reason you're living without hope is because you're living without God in this world. And that's our dilemma. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made it available for us to be made alive. How? It is through Jesus. Those who once were far off 
separated from God by the chasm that their sin has created, Jesus has now brought near through his blood. Jesus Christ brings us to God. Jesus builds a bridge of peace between sinners like you and me and a holy God. And, and I, I know that many of you have heard this before, but can I just, I just think it's so important for us to get on the same page. I am not talking about adopting some religious idea or ideal or philosophy. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Bible talks about. I'm not talking about uh, choosing to, to, to live according to a particular moral code. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Here's what the Bible's talking about. The Bible is talking about you bankrupt in your goodness, bankrupt in your soul, empty and incomplete, having nothing to offer, understanding that you are stuck on this side of the grand chasm. Your sin is created. God is on the other side. Peace is on the other side. Hope is on the other side. You can't reach it. There's nothing, no religion, man-made or otherwise, that can get there. We're stuck. And yet we believe that Jesus died on a cross for a sinner like me. And so I cry out to Jesus, oh Jesus, will you forgive me my sin? Will you give me a new heart? Will you give me a new life? Will you transform me from the inside out? I turn away from the sin that I used to hold on to. I turn away from all the man-made features that I try to create in, to, to bring peace into my life. I turn away from everything about myself. And I turn to you. And I trust in you. And I beg for you to forgive me and cleanse me. And Jesus says, yeah, you're worth it. You're worth it. Yeah, I'll die for you. He looks at you and me, he says, you're to die for. And his death on the cross becomes payment for our sin. When we, by faith, trust him and repent our sin, he takes hold of us and he gives us a new life. He, and, and guys, it's not a religious devotion as much as it is a revolution of our soul that takes place. The Bible pictures it as a new birth. The Bible portrays it as being blind, but now being able to see, being lame, but now being able to walk, being dead, but now I'm alive. And if you've never experienced that kind of thing, then maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you're counting on being a Baptist that'll get you to heaven. And friends, I'm, t I, I'm, I'm here to tell you there is just no way being a Baptist is going to get you anywhere close to heaven. Or being a Catholic, or a Methodist, or a Pentecostal, or evangelical free, or any other of those denominational flavors, just because you choose to be part of that denomination doesn't make you part of God's family. There has to be some transformation that takes place called a new birth. You don't believe that. Maybe you think, well, he's just a, you know, he just a, he just a Baptist preacher. That's why he's preaching like that. Just go to John 3. 
Read it for yourself. Now just go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just read it for yourself. There has to be a transformation. Just read it here. We were dead in our trespasses. Verse 4 and 5, he made us alive together because of his grace. Have you been made alive? Jesus builds a bridge between us and God that creates peace in our life. And that peace is with God and that peace is with ourselves, but it's also peace together. And, and, and this is really what Paul's getting at verses 11 through 22. He's saying, hey, listen, I've rescued you so that you can walk across this bridge named Jesus and get to the other side as a community of people. You see, he says, and, and I want you to lean into verse 19 and, and, and following uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19. It says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. So once we were strangers from the covenant of promise, we were, we were, uh, we, we were separated from the household of God. That's who we once were because we didn't have Christ, we didn't have God, and we didn't have hope. Okay? And, and, and now in verse 9, he says, 19, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So what's he saying there in verse 19? He says, hey, listen, you get rescued by God's grace. You walk across that bridge, who is Jesus, and you get to the other side and you are a brand new creation. You, are, you, are, you have now communion with God, but it's not just communion isolated by yourself. It is communion with God, with others. You see, being part of a family is not a solo act in the kingdom of God. The Bible never portrays following Jesus as just me, myself, and Irene. The Bible always portrays being a follower of Jesus as a community journey. We are in it together. Now, I'm not saying you have to join the church to become a follower of Jesus. But I am saying, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, you will be part of the church. There's no such thing in Scripture as a stand-alone stone. Jesus has fitted us for a particular family of faith so that we might grow together as the body of believers, connected together by the, uh, by the, uh, the glue that the Holy Spirit provides... Serving Christ in the communities of the seven cities of Hampton Roads and even around the world, displaying the goodness and the greatness, the glory, the justice, the mercy, the love of the living God whom we serve. And we do it together, not individually, not all alone, no lone rangers. So here's the question How are you connected to the church? Uh, and, and, I get it. You want to play theology, you and I can play theology all day long. I do have a PhD worth just at least that much. Not worth much more than that, but at least that much. 
Paul is not talking about the general big C church. He's talking about the local little C church. He's talking about being a part of the local body of believers. He's writing to one named Ephesus. He's talking about you being connected to a body of believers, not some, not some uh, uh, symbolic picture, but actual live people who you join hearts and hands with, who you live life with, for the glory of God together. He's fit you. You see that, verse 21? He, he is fitting you together with other believers. So today, my challenge for you is how are you connected? Are you fitted with other believers? Now, what that means for some of you, some of you, some of you, three simple responses. First, some of you need to choose Christ today. Some of you need to come to faith in Christ. Some of you need to be rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ. Some of you are church members and you need to be saved today. Some of you are non-church members. I mean, you don't even think about church. Church is a foreign concept. Church is something that you do uh, when there's nothing better to do. Ch- church, church isn't even something you necessarily do at Easter, but you probably will at Mother's Day if your mama goes to church. So you may be here today and church is no big deal to you, not even a thought. But by God's grace, he's opened your eyes. He's, taken the, he, he, he's opened your eyes to see that uh, you need Jesus if you're going to have peace. So the first response that I would challenge every person in this room today If you're here and you are not yet a follower of Christ, you need to choose to follow Christ today. Response number two. If you are a follower of Christ, but you're not a member of a church, then become a member of this church. It's time. You can sit on the sidelines all you want, but please understand a a follower of Jesus disconnected from the local body of believers... Guys, that's a strange thing in the kingdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be connected to the followers of Jesus, the family of faith. Why? Because, number one, it's good for you. It's where you grow and share life together. It's good for you. But more importantly, that's the way God designed it. God designed it so that you would be fitted with other believers and together we might be a holy habitation of the Lord. So that together we might display the the goodness and the greatness and the, uh, the, the, the justice and the love and the mercy of God. We need each other to accomplish that, especially in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. So Some of you are here today and you're not yet members of the church. You need to become a member of the church. And to drill down a little bit further, some of you need to join a life group. What I mean by that is the way you really share life together is with other people. I'm the world's worst. I, I, I love to be anonymous. I know that seems strange, me being the guy that's up here most of the time. But I really do. I love to be anonymous. I love to leave this place and go do my work and, and, and be okay, but, but not really do life with other people. And, and that became a real burden on me. I realized that I'm pastor of a church and I'm not a member of any life group in that church. And so God began to convict me that I needed to start doing life with other men. And so I joined a life group. 
Now, I've joined two. It's important for me, but it's important for this family of faith that we grow together and live together and share life together so that, so that we can display the goodness and the glory of God and serve Him as He calls us to. So here's how we're going to end the service. I, everything's different today. My wife was in the room and she said, she said, you seem a little off kilter. I am. I'm like way off kilter. And she said, why? And I said, well, I like things to be the way they normally are. I don't like things to change. I really don't. And today has been totally different. So we're going to end in a different way. Everybody get a blue card. They're at the end of the rows. They're in the racks in front of you. The most poignant invitation that I can give is to call you to some level of response that you really are put in a position to respond. So today, I want you to, first of all, put your name on the front, and I want you to double down and put one of the three pieces of contact information that are available there. Address, phone number, email. I want you to put down something. There needs to be some level of, uh, Eric, you can get hold of me by contacting this number. Now turn it over. After I pray, I'm going to lead you into a response, and I want you to respond one of three or four ways, okay? So let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that you would open eyes, open hearts, give courage, and I pray by your Spirit you draw to yourself those whom you are calling to respond in the way that you deem appropriate. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Because we serve the King, I'm going to ask you first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus... If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you, but you're not part of First Norfolk or not a member of this church, you know that you need to become a member of this church, I want you to write on the back, I need to join the church. So on the front, you have your name and a contact information. On the back, your response, today I need to join the church. You need to write that out. Maybe you're a church member, but you're not part of a life group. You got your name on the front, contact information on the front. On the back, I want you to write, I need to be part of a life group. I need to join a life group. Maybe you are a church member. Maybe you're part of a life group, but you are still somewhat of a spectator. You're just kind of sitting around, kind of hanging out, not really doing much. Uh, You have a great Sunday morning or a weekend, but then you kind of forget about everything else throughout the week because you're not engaged in any kind of service. Here's what I want you to do. If you are a church member, uh, you're in a life group, but you're not serving, I want you to write down, God wants me to serve, and then however you think God would have you serve. I mean, what would God have you do in this church? I can tell you a lot of things that we need you to do, But why don't you tell me what you think God wants you to do? This is how God would like me me to serve in this church.
Now the last, the last response. You put your name on the front, contact information. Now on the back, you know today that you are not yet a follower of Jesus. And you know today you need to become a follower of Jesus. I want you to write down on the back of that card, I need to become a follower of Jesus. Okay, so those are the responses, all right? Uh, I, I need to join the church. I need to join a life group. Here's how I need to serve in the church or I need to become a follower of Jesus. Everybody write something down on that card, front, your name, contact information, back, one of those things. And you might say, well, I'm serving, I'm doing all those things, I really don't have anything else. Yeah, go ahead and put down, I'm going to pray every day for my pastor. That's easy. My name's Eric. I have four daughters, two in college, two dogs, a cat. All females. Pray for me. After you write all that down, I want you to just kind of hold it in your hand. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to pray in your heart of hearts, oh God, give me the courage to actually do something with this card. In obedience to you and your word, in light of the communion that I have just witnessed and participated in. God, give me the courage to do something with this card. And Father, I pray that you would use the responses of your people in this room today to knit our church together for your glory, to see even more people grow as your followers, serving you, shining the light of your good news throughout all corners of the seven cities and even around the world. Now be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.